Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Season 2 of the Experience This Show. Woohoo! Glad to have you back, folks. This is Dan Gingas along with my friend and podcast partner, Joey Coleman, and we are so excited to bring you another season of all of the customer experiences that we've seen, heard, and experienced ourselves, along with the key takeaways for each. We're going to have a bit of a shorter season this year with episodes that should bring you all the way through the holidays. We'll have the same kind of bite-sized segments as last season with a few new twists and turns for this season. Absolutely. A lot of the things that you loved about last season will be back for more. We've got a few surprises up our sleeves as well that, frankly, many came from our survey responses. As our loyal listeners know, at the end of season one, we put out a survey and asked our listeners to chime in with what they liked, what they couldn't stand, what they thought the show could be, would be, and should be. And we got some fantastic responses. In fact, we got so many responses that we went a little crazy on giving away prizes and are pleased to announce our survey winners and loyal listeners who received copies of our books and some other goodies too. Francis Bowman, Kyle Moetti, Clarence Overstreet, Heather Strenzwell, Delphin Vassalo, Nate Brown, Lauren Fast, Will Gott, Christian Bessenbinders, Matthew Urham, and Chris Hill. I hope that I said your names right, folks. Please know that Dan and I appreciated your feedback, as well as all of those who contributed feedback who regrettably didn't win this time. But we encourage you to keep submitting your feedback and your ideas at experiencethisshow.com. We're always looking for new segments to feature, new brands to experience and talk about. And at the end of the day, you all are the best part of this show. So we love to have engagement with our listeners and we're excited about season two. So without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome to Experience This, where you'll find inspiring examples of customer experience, great stories of customer service, and tips on how to make your customers love you even more. Always upbeat and definitely entertaining, customer attention expert Joey Coleman and social media expert Dan Gingas serve as your hosts for a weekly dose of positive customer experience. So hold on to your headphones. It's time to experience this. Get ready for another episode of the Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss how Hollywood has improved the act of waiting, how the Magic Kingdom continuously commits to customer experience, and how talking in the restroom can be a good choice. Universal waiting, Disney committing, and Myrtle moaning? Oh my. Sometimes a remarkable experience deserves deeper investigation. We dive into the nitty-gritty of customer interactions and dissect how and why they happen. Join us while we're dissecting the experience. So, Dan, how did you spend your summer vacation? My summer vacation. <laughs> it seemed fitting to start off for the first episode, you know, coming into the fall as we uh, begin season two, to let listeners know what you did this summer. Well, other than vacationing from podcasting, I wouldn't say that I actually was on vacation. I was working and getting stuff done around the house. And so, no, I didn't like take any trips or anything. How about you? 
Well, you know, we actually did get the chance to spend some time on the road, as I want to do every time of the year. And the whole family and I found ourselves in California visiting some family and friends. And while we were there, had the chance to spend the day at Universal Studios Hollywood. Now, this was actually the first time in over 20 years that I'd been there. Have you been to Universal Studios, Dan? So I went to the Hollywood version when I was a kid, but I have more recently been to Universal Studios in Florida. Gotcha. And so they're very similar for those of you listening along, but somewhat different. What I thought was most impressive, and this is something that I would not have noticed last time I was at Universal Studios when I was much younger, and there was a lot to be impressed with, don't get me wrong. But what impressed me the most is how they handled waiting. Waiting. That's usually the part that is not very exciting, like when you're trying to get on a ride or something like that, and you're trying to corral the kids, and it's a long winding line like at the airport, and that's actually usually the suckiest part of the experience. Absolutely. And to be frank, Dan, that's why I noticed it. Because Universal Studios Hollywood has, in my opinion, cracked the code on waiting. And not just waiting in line, but waiting all over the space and all over your experiences. So it starts out when you're coming into the parking lot and trying to park. And they actually have these giant signs, kind of the flashing light marquees that say, as you're moving up to the ticket booth to pay for your parking, ask about preferred parking. And as we were driving up, my wife said, ask about preferred parking. And she kind of read it out loud. And I said, I was thinking so. And she said, don't mind if I do. So as we got up to the front, I said, so what's the story on this preferred parking? And they said, well, for $10 more, you go down that ramp. And she pointed to a ramp that had no one on it. And the other ramp was Did filled with Did that tell you something, Joey? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, well, let me get this right. For $10 more, I get to go in that line and be in the park what feels like 45 minutes faster, or I can sit in this big, huge line and save $10. And at that point, I'd already made the investment on the tickets, which, as you may or may not know, is not an inexpensive investment. But I was like, you know what? 10 extra dollars to get everybody out of the car, out of LA traffic, right into the parking lot and into the park. Let's do it. So we took the preferred parking. So let and me ask the, you a question, though. Yeah. I mean, this is a serious question. Yeah. Why do you think more people didn't do that? I have no idea. Honestly, I've been racking my brain since this happened because I'm not kidding you. The line of cars to go up the ramp to regular parking was about 40 cars deep. And I kid you not, there was no one on the preferred parking ramp. And I'm thinking to myself, is the $10 differential really the deal breaker here? Or is it that people just are opposed to the concept of paying for preferred parking or they didn't ask so they didn't realize that it was only a $10 difference? I don't know what it was, but to me, $10 did not seem that significant for parking. Now, that being said, let me be very clear. I recognize that it was $10 and that's an additional expense. And maybe because we were visiting from out of town, we were only there for the day. I've got a five-year-old and a two and a half-year-old. So I knew my total hours of sane children was limited. Maybe if I had adult kids, I would have said, oh, save the $10 because you're going to burn that on food and drink in the park. But at that moment, I was like, this $10 feels like a really good investment in our time. 
So we took it. But I have no idea why more people didn't do it. Because then we pulled into the parking lot and proceeded to pull up to a space that was next to the escalator that took you into the park. I mean, total time from getting out of our car to getting into the park was under a minute. As opposed to parking what usually is the experience in a typical amusement park. Hey, let's have you park 17 miles away and walk it on in, kids. You know what I mean? It just, it felt much better. But it didn't stop there. We had opted in for the Express Pass. Now, to be clear, the Express Pass is more expensive than the regular ticket. But what the Express Pass allows you to do is go down a faster lane on all of the rides and all of the shows. For the shows, you get preferred seating plus a faster lane. For the rides, you get a faster lane. Now, again, that you're probably sensing a common theme here. I was thinking this is worth spending more money to get the Express Pass, but I wasn't entirely sure. Because I hadn't been to Universal Studios Hollywood in over two decades, but I had been to amusement parks before with my boys. And as much as I love my kids at five and two and a half, they're not particularly patient. They're not excited about winding back and forth in that, as you, I believe, called it sucky line that takes an hour or two hours. And most of the rides were a minimum of 45 minute wait. The longest wait I saw was 180 minute wait to get on one of the rides. The cool thing about the Express Pass, Dan, I never waited in line more than five minutes, and I only did that on one ride. All the other rides, we went down that line and followed it all along, past all the people that are standing to get on the ride for an hour or more, and we would go and get into the next available car, like instantly. The very first ride we went on, I turned my wife and I was like, this was worth it for this moment right here. We just saved an hour to get on this ride that now we can use that time on other rides. And as a result, it felt like we got to go to the entire park three times during one day by buying a single ticket. Yeah. So I'm a little conflicted on this because I agree with you that that experience is amazing. I mean, we were at uh, Six Flags a couple of weeks ago. I took my kids and we went to the water park and it just so happened we showed up sort of early afternoon and it had rained in the morning. And so nobody goes to the water park in the rain. And so, but by the afternoon, it was still cloudy, but not raining. And we basically had the whole park to ourselves. And we went on all of the water slides, like no wait, just kept going over and over again. And it's amazing. It's a terrific experience. I think where I struggle a little bit is this concept that in order to have that experience, you must pay more than what is already an exorbitant ticket price to go to a Universal or a Disney or really any amusement park. We're not really naming names here. It doesn't matter because they all, a lot of them act in the same way. And therefore, the people that are paying just the base exorbitant price don't get that benefit. And it's, I think the question that I would ask you is, you know, if you extend this to a different kind of a company, and, and we've read articles about this too, like, is it fair to make people pay more money for a better experience? Or should companies be trying to create a good experience for everybody? And I don't know the answer, but it, basically what you're describing is kind of a pay to play scheme. If you're willing to pay more, they're willing to give you a better experience. Yes. And I understand the concern. Here's my thought on it. I don't think it's about pay to play. I think it's if you're willing to pay more, is it okay to get a better experience? And that I'm totally okay with. I'm totally okay with if you're willing to pay more, you get a heightened level experience because I think in general, that's kind of how society works. I'm not saying it should always work that way. 
But that's an interesting segue into the other thing that I thought was fascinating about the waiting is that waiting in line, even if you were waiting in the longer line, doesn't feel like waiting because of what they've done to entertain you during the line. Now, for those of you that haven't been to an amusement park in a long time, back in the day, I remember you'd stand in line and it's basically you're going through the cattle troughs, right? You're just walk down to the end of the line, turn, walk all the way back, turn, and maybe you strike up a conversation with the people that you're passing in the line as you go, but there isn't much happening. For example, the Transformer ride As you go through, you basically feel like you're in a military-style bunker. All of the employees are dressed in military outfits, which is a reference to the Transformers movie and the Autobot nest, right, where everybody's operating out of. There are video screens playing kind of promotional videos from the characters, quote-unquote, in the ride, telling you about the ride and why you've been chosen to go on this mission. So you're entertained as you walk through it. And so to me, it left this feeling of even the waiting feels like an experience. It's not just... Yeah, that I love, Joey. I think that is that's so important because as we started this segment, waiting in line at an amusement park is part of the experience, unfortunately, for most people. And if you can take that's that's what you call making the required remarkable, right? If the required totally. is waiting in line, then the remarkable part is it doesn't feel like waiting in line. That's great. Exactly. Exactly. And I think what I liked about the Express Pass is it was taking it one step further. It was saying, let's make the required remarkable. And if you decide you want to circumvent the required, you can do that and have an even more remarkable experience. Let's put it this way. Paying for the Express Pass made a lot more sense to me than paying for a first-class ticket on an airplane. Because a first-class ticket on an airplane, yes, you arrive earlier than the person in the row behind you if you're the last row of first class, but it's like seconds earlier. So what you're paying for is the bigger seat, the more comfy layback, maybe free drinks. You know, it used to be free movies, but even now, at least on my airline that I love, time for our first plug of season two for Delta Airlines, my favorite airline, you get all the entertainment. It used to be first class, didn't have to pay for the movies, but the rest of the plane did. Now the whole plane on Delta gets all the movies and entertainment free. So they're trying to figure out how can you make your customers that are willing to pay the most have an even better experience. I think Universal Studios Hollywood has it, which is why I love how they approach the Express Pass. And overall, there were so many different examples of not making the waiting feel normal. At They have an area, Harry Potter World, and they brought everybody in for castle fireworks show and light show at night, I overheard one of the staff members saying to a more junior member, we change the time of the show every night to create unexpected surprise. And they funnel everybody through and there are characters to meet them and sign autographs and take pictures while you're waiting in line to see the show so it doesn't feel like you're waiting. The characters that walk around the park, there are certain areas around the park where you can go and have your photo taken with a character and they post a schedule of, at this time, the minions will be here at this time the transformers will be here plus they have the characters walking around so you can interact with them randomly long story short when it comes to making waiting not feel like waiting universal studios hollywood has it figured out there are so many great customer experience articles to read but who has the time we summarize them and offer clear takeaways you can implement starting tomorrow Enjoy this segment of CX Press, where we read the articles so you don't need to. 
Walt Disney once said, whatever you do, do it well. Do it so well that when people see you do it, they will want to come back and see you do it again. And they will want to bring others and show them how well you do what you do. This CX Press segment comes to us from the Harvard Business Review and is titled, Three Principles Disney Uses to Enhance Customer Experience. It was written by Bruce Jones, Senior Programming Director at the Disney Institute. And the article has three key suggestions. The first one is to create an organizational common purpose. The article defines common purpose as a succinct explanation of what you want the customer experience to be at the emotional level. See, all too often we define the customer experience by the outcome. We want the experience to be positive or fast, etc. Instead of by the feeling, we want the customer to experience being cared for, comforted, surprised. This common purpose ends up being the essential foundation on which all of your service decisions can be made. Because if you're clear about the common purpose, it's easier to know what you need to do as new situations arise in your business. The cool thing about having a clearly defined common purpose is it gives all employees a clear understanding of what you stand for and why you exist. And Disney's great at using this as the primary tool for getting everybody in the organization on the same page. Secondly, understand your customers holistically. Now, your knowledge of the customer has to be beyond what just happens in the traditional service center. You need to understand customer wants and needs and expectations so that you can create personalized interactions along the entire journey. Using listening posts to assess the customer experience and immediately identify areas where expectations are or aren't being met is really critical to figuring out how to eliminate pain points and find opportunities to surprise and delight. Third, we need to view exceptional service as an economic asset rather than an expense. All too often, people ask, well, what's the ROI on customer experience? The crazy thing is they're measuring ROI on the short term instead of the long term because ROI or return on investment is really more about the lifetime customer value. And that lifetime value, when we take it into account, justifies the short-term costs we have associated with designing and delivering exceptional customer service experiences. So in this three-step prong of, you know, creating an organizational common purpose, understanding your customers holistically, and viewing exceptional service as an economic asset rather than an expense, Disney makes customer experience part of their culture. It makes it part of their ethos and part of their way of interacting with their customers so that they have the raving reputation that they do. And you can see that this works because Disney is considered the place to go for amusement parks. It's the one that you hear about all your friends going to. It's the one that parents dream of taking their kids to. It's the one that books are written about in order to guide you through. And so it's clear that they're doing something right here. And and to me, of those three things, the third one's the one that sticks out the most, which is viewing the exceptional service as an economic asset rather than an expense. I think that you and I have talked about before, Joey, that we believe customer experience is the last true differentiator between brands, whether they're amusement parks or shoe companies or movie theaters. It doesn't matter. You can't compete on price because it's a loser's game. Products are easy to copy. 
But what's really, really difficult to duplicate is a unique and personalized customer experience. I couldn't agree more, Dan. And I, I think the evidence we have in the marketplace of that economic asset of creating exceptional customer experiences is how often, and I, I presume you've seen this, we see on social media, usually on Facebook, but maybe it's happening over on the Twitter too, where we see videos of parents posting them telling their kids they're going to Disney. Like it seems like in recent years, there's been this trend of surprising your kids by having their bags packed and like waking them up in the morning and saying, guess what? We're going to Disneyland. Or at least I've seen multiple parents post those types of videos. And part of the reason for that is everyone knows if you're going to go to Disney, you're going to have a great experience. Your kids are going to love it. The parents are going to love it. And as a result, that becomes their marketing. And so they're able to spend less advertising saying, hey, make sure you come to Disneyland this summer on vacation. And instead, just let the story that their customers tell serve as their marketing. Bruce Jones, the Senior Programming Director at the Disney Institute, notes in his article, At Disney, we've been striving to perfect our customer experience over the many decades since Walt Disney founded the company attempting to do things so well that our guests want to come back and see us do it again and again. And CX continues to be something our leaders think about each and every day. Here's hoping that all of you, our loyal listeners here at The Experience This Show, can commit to the same type of ongoing enhancements of customer experience that Disney has done and continues to do every day and has done for decades. Just because you have required elements of your business doesn't mean they need to be boring. It's time to get creative, have some fun, and make people sit up and take notice. Get your customers talking when you make the required remarkable. Quick question for you, Dan. Have you read the Harry Potter series of books? Have I read the Harry Potter series of books? (laughs) I kind of asked for that one. It's like, Dan, have you been under a rock for the last decade? No, I figured you might have read them. Yeah, read them, seen all the movies a whole bunch of times, read them to my kids. Yes. All right. So you were on the Quidditch team at work. Okay, that's fine. I wanted to ask because I had an absolutely incredible experience visiting the Wizarding World of Harry Potter at Universal Studios. You know, I talked about Universal Studios in the earlier segment about how they made waiting not feel like waiting. What they did in the Harry Potter world was incredible. Not only did they make Hogsmeade Village and Hogwarts Castle absolutely remarkable and just incredible spectacles to view and interact with and participate. But the thing I want to talk about is what they did around the required elements of their business. Yeah, I went to Harry Potter World at Universal Studios in Florida, and I was absolutely blown away by the attention to detail at every single turn. I mean, I found myself even examining the bricks on the buildings because they were so carefully considered, you know, their color and their texture and everything was thought through to try to really resemble the book and the movies and, and really put you into this experience where you felt like you were dumped into the wizarding world. So I thought it was incredible. And, you know, the remarkable parts, we talk about this a lot. It's why we have a segment named it. These are things that, your business is going to have to do one way or another. And you can either make them 
boring and unremarkable, or you can figure out how to make them into an experience in and of themselves. And I think I know where you're going here, but the Wizarding World of Harry Potter did this really well. It really did. And to your point, they took the required things and just completely elevated them to a new level. So one of the first things we did when we arrived at this section of the park is given the timing, and we went to the restaurant that is located in the Harry Potter world called Three Broomsticks. Now, a restaurant, as we all know, is required to have drinks. But Universal Studios makes this required element remarkable by having all the drinks they serve come from the Harry Potter books. So there's butterbeer, pumpkin fizz, and gilly water. They don't need to be boring or usual soft drinks. They are making interesting drinks, creative drinks, tasty drinks, so much so that my wife, Barrett, who's also a big Harry Potter fan, was looking up the ingredients for the non-alcoholic butterbeer that my sons and I were drinking because it was so tasty and we were having so much fun. And it has a real head on it, just like it does in the book, the movies, and my kids were left with mustaches from drinking it. So it's amazing. So you feel like you're drinking beer, but you're not drinking beer. It basically tastes like cream soda with a shortbread topping. It's incredible. Restaurants are also required to have lighting, but Universal Studios takes this one step further and makes this required element of lighting remarkable by having lights on the walls and on the chandeliers that appear to be like candles, even though they aren't. So the lights are light bulbs, but they're in these kind of frosted coverings, and they pulse as and flicker as a candle would, even though they're not candles, because I watched them long enough to see that there was no repeating pattern. So they took this thing of lighting and made it something that I'm now talking about on the podcast. Yeah, and this is a great example of making you feel like you have entered the actual wizarding world, where, as we know, when all the kids eat it, at uh, Hogwarts, the entire place is lit up by candles. And so doing this in the restaurant makes you feel like you're participating in that. Absolutely. I would say last but not least, and this is the one that really caught my attention and made me think of talking about this on the show. Amusement parks are required to have a bathroom. Now, most amusement parks actually give a lot of thought around the placement of their restrooms, right? Universal Studios goes one step further by making this required element remarkable. In the second book of the Harry Potter series, Chamber of Secrets, we're introduced to a ghost that haunts the girls' restroom at Hogwarts, Moaning Myrtle. And what's really interesting about Moaning Myrtle is when you go into the restrooms, you hear her voice. You hear this character talking and saying lines from the movies and from the book and kind of interacting with you. And at some point, one could argue it's creepy. But for those that are the real Potter aficionados, you can't help but have a smile on your face that they paid attention to that small of a detail. I also can't help but have a smile on my face that you're talking about bathrooms on our show. Because I feel like if you go back and listen to season one, It's probably in this order. Hotels, airplanes, and bathrooms are what we talk about all the time. We do spend a lot of time talking about these because these, you know, folks, at the end of the day, we we try to make it a family-friendly show. At the end of the day, if you can create an experience in your hotel or on your airplane or in the bathroom of your business that is remarkable and gets people talking about it, you're doing something right. Yeah, I mean, and, all jokes aside, we spend a lot of time in the bathroom, so we you know, might as well the, make it these enjoyable. Are the places that your customers go, right? They have all these interactions, and this is kind of the overall philosophy here at the Experience This Show. 
customer experience and customer experience enhancement is a lifelong commitment that touches every aspect of your business. Every aspect of your business that a customer or a prospect has the potential to interact with, you should spend some time thinking about how can we make that experience remarkable. And if you want to get a chance to have remarkable experiences and see how these required elements can really be made into something special, go check out The Wizarding World of Harry Potter at Universal Studios. We've talked. You've listened. Now it's time to act. There are many things you could do to take what you've learned in this episode and implement it. But at times, that can feel overwhelming. Instead, why not just focus on three takeaways? At the end of each episode, we're going to give you three takeaways. Think of it as a little bonus for staying around until the end of the episode. The takeaway might be something for you to consider or might be something for you to do or maybe something to facilitate a conversation with coworkers. Either way, we just wanted to give you something to think about between this episode and the next one. Takeaway number one. Is what you're doing impressive enough to get people to bring their friends to watch? Consider that Walt Disney quote we referenced earlier in the episode. Do it so well that when people see you do it, they will want to come back and see you do it again, and they will want to bring others and show them how well you do what you do. What are you doing in your business that is so impressive that it makes your customers not only watch, but then leave and go get their friends and bring them back so their friends can witness it as well? Takeaway number two. What is the speeded up version of your offering? Similar to the Express Pass at Universal Studios Hollywood, what is the enhanced service or product you could offer to help your customers get what they want faster, maybe even at a premium price? Some of your customers will place a premium on speed. Can you deliver faster? What happens when your customers opt to pay more to get the same results in a shorter period of time? And takeaway number three. How can you showcase your brand in something that is required in your business? What is the Moaning Myrtle application to your business? Now, to be clear, we're not recommending you play recordings of strange voices in your office bathroom because, frankly, that's probably not your brand and would be really creepy if you did it. But what is the way you can let some of your brand spirit or some of your brand energy or ethic show up in the more traditionally mundane aspects of your business? As we like to say on the show, how can you make the required remarkable? Could you make crazy and engaging voicemail recordings with music and singing and moments of laughter? Could you add a personalized image to the next invoice you send out? Can you make walking into your lobby feel like walking into somewhere completely different and completely special? What would it be like to create an out-of-office message that is so fantastic that your customers are more eager to call when you're not in the office or email when you're not in the office to get that response rather than your actual reply? So those are the three takeaways for this episode. Speaking of takeaways, could I add in one more, Dan, that is definitely an ask-do type of thing? Well, I think you're going to anyway, so go Uh, right ahead. You know me all too well. Folks, could you take a few minutes, do us a favor, go over to iTunes and subscribe to the Experience This Show. Now, the reason we're asking you to do this is it really helps with searchability and rankings, and we'd love to count you amongst our subscribers here at the Experience This Show. Not to mention, you'll get an alert each week when our next episode is released. Thanks so much for subscribing, and remember, you 
our loyal listeners, are the best part of the experience this show experience. Wow! Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This! We know there are tons of podcasts to listen to, magazines and books to read, reality TV to watch. We don't take for granted that you've decided to spend some quality time listening to the two of us. We hope you enjoyed our discussions, and if you do, we'd love to hear about it. Come on over to experiencethisshow.com and let us know what segments you enjoyed, what new segments you'd like to hear. This show is all about experience, and we want you to be part of the Experience This Show. Thanks again for your time, and we'll see you next week for more Experience This.